Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner Podcast devotees and followers. The great Matt Geib here on a warm summer's day. Coming to you once again with the book of Philippians. We are in chapter 2, verses 13 to about 18. Actually, 12 to about 18, I believe. And I just want to insert here, we're going to go into the a teaching I did on this last summer because I think the teaching that I did covered it so well. And I just want <clears throat> to mention to you uh, in starting verse 12, uh, and 13, uh, it says, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That is the key thought of our episode today. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought, but it's misunderstood, I think, by the majority of Christians. Are we doing the work? Is God doing the work? How does that all work out? Uh, what? Where does the Spirit of God come into play? So sit back. I'm taking you into a class that I taught last summer on this, which I think covers this very well. God bless you. Have the whole world in your hands, that you have every situation, every problem, everything. You have our hairs numbered, Lord. So how much more do you have those problems that we might be facing uh, in your control if we give them to you? Father, I just pray for each and every one that hears this today, tomorrow, in the future, that you would open this text up to them and that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are working in them. You're working in them when they're alive in the daytime, walking around and aware of things, and you're working in them in their sleep. Every moment, every second of the day, you work in us, Lord, and we thank you for that. We give ourselves to you in this time. We yield ourselves to you because that's the key in having you work it in us. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to start to go through my notes. I went through these uh, this morning a bit, and some things were highlighted to me again that um, possibly will highlight here. God at work in us, or I like to say God at work in you. Amen. God is at work in you. Believe that. He is at work in us collectively. He's brought us together for a great purpose. Wherefore, my beloved, I'm reading from Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now more in my absence. Excuse me a second. Okay. More in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputing. Let's see. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked, crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye also as light shine in the world, holding, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I am I, 
have not run in vain, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Amen. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. There is a couple really beautiful verses in here. They're actually the first two that um, if you're not a real um, Christian that's been around a while, uh, maybe if you have been around a while, that at times are really misunderstood, these first two verses. But that's it's really a simple explanation, I think, that we're going to go through today. And I think you, if you don't already understand it, you will. Um, God will open it up to you and you'll understand it better. Verses 12 and 13. Well, that's, that's the key verses that um, I think are misunderstood by a lot of Christians at times. Wherefore, my beloved. Wherefore is a word that's therefore that uh, connecting us with verses, the previous verse, like verse 127. Paul is thus saying to the Philippians in exhortation, because they should be living as heavenly citizens in harmony and unity with one another, their lives should have evidence of the following traits from verse, uh, verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2. To think the same thing, have the same love, be in the same heart unity or agreement, carry oneself in low running mind or humility, and to see to it that your brethren, your brothers and sisters, uh, surpass you in the faith or excel by you. We talked about that a lot the last week. Uh, and we also spoke of having the mind of Christ, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, which then led to what we call the emptying out of the kenosis experience. Death and resurrection, that is to walk as new creatures in Christ. That's what the kenosis experience will lead us to. And that's what that kind of brings us up to these verses. Wherefore kind of ties in what we went into last week and talked about. Because these things you have, these traits as heavenly citizens that I just reiterated here, um, then he says, my beloved. Yeah, Paul further exhorts the Philippians to make these traits that we just mentioned a permanent fact in your life. And that's how what we're going to talk about today it's going to make that possible. It's going to bring that to fruition in your life. My beloved, or my beloved ones, the Greek word is. It's a plural word in Greek. Uh, agapeo, agapetos, or agapetos, to love. It's from agape. This is the love, agape of God, produced in your heart by the Holy Spirit that impels you to lay your life down for one another. See, that's what Paul was doing. He was laying his life down for these churches, for the Philippian church and others that he had uh, was called to minister to as the um, apostle of the Gentiles. <clears throat> Ye have obeyed or obeyed. And we're not talking about a grinding out. And this is where we're going to get into the revelation of these verses here. A grind it out, work it out kind of obedience done in uh, fear of God as, as if God is a taskmaster taskmaster that's going to smash you or hammer you if you do something wrong. This is a basic summary of a practical application of all that Paul is saying. He is not meaning a slavish obedience of rules, but rather an intelligent application of principle. When obey or obedience is applied this way, it is a key for us Christians 
to walk in real liberty with God. Okay, just like if you um, thinking of this, if if I'm I'm a bit of a musician, but I never really uh, perfected that. Uh, I never. You have to put in the time and the discipline to really make, um, you know, obey the principles of music to really make it work for you. Even the best and most talented musicians, without a lot of practice and obedience to basic music principles will not become world-renowned uh, performers. You just can't do that, even if you have the best talent in the world in music, okay? And that's what he's talking about. We need to obey the principles of the Bible, you know, not in a slavish way. We need to practice them. That's what he's talking about here. Um, it's not a work-it-out mentality in our own flesh, and we're going to get into that here. Not as in my presence. The sense here is that they don't need Paul to hold their hand. He's not there anyway. He's under house arrest because they have the mind of Christ. We talked about that last week. You have the mind of Christ. Yes, you need some guidance to point that out to you. You need some teachers like myself and Tyler and others to point some things out to you. But in the end, you're the one, ones that God is going to anoint the word and the principles to. And you're the ones that are going to have to apply them. I can't walk your Christian walk for you. You can't walk your Christian walk for other people other people. So that's what we're talking about. Work out your own salvation. Now we get into the heart of the matter of uh, what some Christians misunderstand. Not working out personal salvation in your own effort and strength. I mean, if you could do all that, and, and you can for a while, uh, you're nothing more, I would say, than a, than a good Mormon. Good Mormons do a lot of good works, sometimes more good works than Christians do, sad to say. But that's not what we're talking about. Paul was, first of all, writing to saints, not people that were unsaved, okay? Salvation is always a work of God. It's not men. It may say, work out your own salvation, but he's not talking about you doing it in your own strength. It's an inward, it's also not an inward working of one's own salvation, where you're just, everybody's personally got to work it out themselves, and you got to make sure it's right. I mean, yes, you do to a degree, and we're going to get into that. But it's not all in your own power and strength. Work out. Cotter gods am I. To carry out to a goal. That's what he's talking about. Work out your salvation. Carry it out to its uh, goal. Um, to carry out to its ultimate conclusion. In other words, keep working out your salvation till the day that you're redeemed. Whether that's when Jesus comes back in the rapture or whether um, when you leave this planet. Keep working it out. It's like saying to a fifth grader, work out your law. And I've worked with my granddaughters. I know what this is about. Work out that long division problem to its conclusion. You know, work out your salvation to its conclusion. Keep working it out every day. Paul is exhorting the Philippians and us to carry our salvation to its ultimate conclusion. That is Christ-likeness, right? The salvation highlighted here is sanctification being set aside from sin and toward God's purpose, purposes for our lives, which will please Abba. You know, we got to continually put that into practice. It's not just going to haphazardly happen. And again, I'm not talking about works of your flesh, though there is some discipline, but I believe God will um, give us, energize us in our discipline, as it were. Uh, another example I thought of is my granddaughter when uh, she just now got her license the end of May. Uh, I probably for seven or eight months, I drove around with her because I was the one that was most available. 
uh, while she learned to drive. And I would sit in the passenger seat and she would drive. And I would tell her things and she would apply it. Uh, by the way, she's one of those people. I think there's some people who are just uh, gifted drivers and some aren't. And I think she always had a talent for driving. She's always a really good driver from the start. Even learned to be pretty a pretty good defensive driver right away, even at 16. So, you know, I had to sit beside her, and then more and more, the responsibility became hers. And she had to apply the principles of safe driving, apply the principles of turning on the key and knowing how to, you know, shift gears if she was in a standard shift car, things like that. <clears throat> Our application of faith puts the God we have in us to work. That's what we're talking about. Putting a touch, uh, um, getting in touch with the Spirit of God inside of you and allowing Him to work in your life. That's what we're talking about. We are not robots. We have our own will to apply uh, or not apply the mind of Christ. You can choose today to assimilate the mind of Christ when you go out in the marketplace, when you go to your job, when you talk to your neighbor, when you have a dispute maybe in your family sometime, or you can choose not to. We're not robots. God's not going to step in and make you do the right thing. I'm not saying he can't do that, but he, I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, for the most part, I, I, I guess the one guy who, um, uh, the one prophet there in the Old Testament, the ass spoke to him and told him not to do certain things. I remember that. You remember that too. I can't remember his name. Balaam, maybe? <clears throat> with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're not, again, talking about a terror or a fear of being smashed by God, you know, if we do something wrong. But really a fear of God and caution of being careful, not doing the wrong things. This fear is a self-distrust. Self it's dist distrusting your, not trusting your own flesh, not trusting your own strength, you know, uh, not trusting that in your own mind you're going to always make the right choices. It's a tenderness of one's conscience of vigilance against temptation. It's the opposite of pride and arrogance. And that's, you know, when it says, um, thinking of this verse and something that really struck me when I first ran into Tyler, one of the things he said, one of the most um, telltale signs of somebody that's arrogant and proud as, as a Christian is somebody that doesn't have a prayer life, you know, or has a very little prayer life. Because if you don't have a prayer life, if you're not constantly praying, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, you're not depending on him. And some Christians say, well, how can I constantly pray? Well, it's an attitude of the heart. You're not necessarily down by your bed praying, though that, those times are needed, or laying down on your floor praying, those, those times are needed. But you can pray without ceasing. That's a dependence, a heart dependence on him day in and day out. And I, I, I must confess here sometimes, I just, you know, I'm not doing that. And then I get in trouble, you know. I get in trouble when I don't do that. It's being in an attitude of taking heed lest we fall uh, uh, from deceitfulness of our hearts. It's taking care and caution not to offend God. This is our human responsibility, one, one uh, commentator said, in its highest form, you know. Uh, when you really love God, you know, and I know all of you do here, when you really love God or you love somebody if you're in a, marriage or a love relationship with a man or a woman, your heart is not to hurt them. You never want to hurt them. I mean, you might still hurt them, but you, that's not your heart. And it's the same when we love God 
and we're close to him, we don't want to hurt his heart. We don't want to do those things um, that will hurt him. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I love this verse, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house could you possibly build for me and what place could I be at home, be my home? My hand made all things and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. In other words, he's looking for somebody to abide in, to live in, you know, that's who he's looking for. And so this is this is the Lord's declaration. I look favorably on this kind of person, one who's humble and submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. Are we trembling at his word? Are we respecting his word? Are we taking care of the spiritual responsibility and call that he's given us? Um, wow. We work out salvation through um, ap application of God's power and promises in our lives. Here's a key a key scripture, um, God gave me a message on this once called, um, you will never fall if, and it's all on this, read this verse today again, but Second Timothy, or I'm sorry, Second Peter 1, 3 to 10, it will really, uh, it helps unlock this verse here in Philippians. His divine power has given us everything for life and godliness. In other words, it's available. You have his divine power today. You are his saint. You are his son. You are his daughter. It's available. But you just have to take advantage of it, right? Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises. Are you taking hold of the promises? Are you reading them and assimilating them and meditating on them? So that through them, you know, you have to apply the promise. Just like I said about the musician, he has to apply the rules of music and rote practice and going over those things to become a world-renowned artist in music. It's not just going to happen uh, if he leaves the guitar or the keyboard sit there. He has to put it into practice. It's not going to happen for us as saints if we don't put the Word of God into practice. And that means reading it, meditating on it, assimilating it in our heart. So he says, for this very reason, make every effort, make every effort, you know, not, again, not all in your own flesh, but every effort to let the Spirit of God make these things real to you. Supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if, if, there's an if clause there, if these qualities are yours, that means there's a possibility they might not be yours, right? We got to make them ours. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, I love that word, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted, and has forgot the cleansing, the cleansing from his past sin. I must say there's been times in my Christian walk that I've forgotten some of these things, and I've been blind because of my own self-will. Then verse 10, therefore, brothers, make every effort. You, you make the effort, you know, and I'm not talking again about in the flesh, but apply what God has given you. Apply the Spirit of God. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You know, he's not going to pick it, pick you up and do everything for you. 
Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Or like the King James says, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. We have a free will. We have a, a say in the matter. He's not just going to make us robots to do everything right. You know, we have to apply ourselves. For it is God which worketh in you, verse 13, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's, it's like turning on your lights at, at your house. You know, the lights won't work if you don't turn them on. The power of God won't work in you to will and do his good pleasure if you don't, you know, tap into that and tie into that and humble yourself and apply praying without ceasing like I talked about, you know. That's what I, I, I believe is, is the heart of this uh, these scriptures here. This is a faith workout, a workout of your faith. You know, we're applying faith. Um, worketh means energero, meaning to energize, work effectively. Our words energy and energize come from this Greek word. To will, thaleo, means to wish, to desire, to purpose, specifically speaks to one's emotions rather than reason. The desire to do Abba's good pleasure is produced by a divine energy cultivated and imparted to the believer's heart by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit energizes us, not just for willingness, but in the doing as well. We are given power to do. Again, you have to apply that. You have to, by faith, say, yes, Lord, you're working in me. God, you're at work in me today. It's not, it's not just my strength. I'm relying on your strength. And believe me, this will begin to happen. Uh, to do, uh, for it is God who works in you both to do, both to will, I'm sorry, and to do. The to do is a, is a, implies habitual, habitual action. It's become a habit in your life. Is that, is that the habit you're seeing formed? I hope so. That's what I'm praying for all of us. That's what I'm praying for myself. You know, even though I've walked with the Lord a lot of years, you still have to apply it. Apply it. Do it. You know, habitual thing. Application. We could say it like this. Human responsibility. That's your and my responsibility, verse 12. Plus divine enablement, verse 13, equals doing his good pleasure. The works of God that please Abba or please him equals or are a take hold and co-work with God process. It's him and I together. It's, not, it's never my strength or all my strength at all. But yet I have to put myself in a place where I allow him to work in my life. It's a mystery in a sense as to, this is, blows my mind. It's a mystery in a sense as to how our free will works together with the sovereignty of God. And I'm going to get into more of this because... I think there's times as Christians, especially, I see it in my own life, excuse me for a second, I see it in my own life because I've been with the Lord a long time and it seems like there's areas where I say, well, I just don't know how to really yield this to you or give it to you. And I find because I'm talking to him about it and there's just a little bit of seed that I'd like to do it, he begins to work in that area. You know, my heart's not close to him working there. And he begins to actually sovereignly in a way work in that area, which in my own mind, I think, ah, I've been this way in a certain sense for years. I can't change, but oh, I want to. And he begins to work in that area. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified. That's the kenosis process with Christ. I no longer live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. That's what we're talking about. 
<clears throat> excuse me, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith. By faith, sees there's that word, by faith, in the Son of God and who loved me and gave himself for me. The beauty of the Christian life is we are truly free to do as we choose. All of you are free here to do as you choose. And I'm just saying, if you really love the Lord, which I know you do, you're going to choose to do those things that are right. As John said, if you love me, keep my command. The love will motivate us to do what's right. Will it not? I believe that. Abba desires for us to live every moment right where he has us, whether that's at the marketplace or at the job, or if he calls you over to China for a missions trip, uh, if you're with your family, whether they're saved or not. He wants to live every moment with us and transform the seemingly empty, boring, meaningless routines of life, as well as the challenging situations you face, into vibrant, God-energized opportunities. Then we will really see God working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. He's going to work in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. just want to stop here for a moment. Uh, I want you to just repeat this after me. Let's just prayerfully repeat this. God, you are working in me for your will and good pleasure. Can you say that? God, you are working in me for your will and good pleasure. One more time. God, you are working in me for your will and good pleasure. Amen? That's what we're talking about. God working in us. God working in us wherever we are 24-7. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get there by the grace of God. Amen? Uh, let's go on. This, this, there's, God is so good to us. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he gets to the crux of the issue we've been talking about that kind of... Um, is kind of coming against the unity there in the in the Philippian church. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, verse 14. Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons and daughters of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We're not going to have to worry so much about this verse if we've, we are applying the principle of God working in us, are we? But let's go over this a bit. Paul begins to address the issue that was beginning to cause division among them. He had gotten this issue from Ephroditus, who, who shared it with him, who had maybe been even covering it up because he wanted to cover up his brethren, brethren's sin due to his great love for them. Paul exhorts them, and he's exhorting us, be done with those nev negative things, murmurings, uh, gagusamas, to mutter or murmur, used of the cooing of doves. It is a set of this word of the Greek pronunciation that it really resembles its meaning. This is a hushed undertone, like a whisper. It's used against men, not God. In other words, the murmurings are more against men more than God. It could be both, though. So for the dissension in the Philippian church, was it was for now was only beginning to be an undercurrent. This word was used of those who get together and complain secretly of their discontent. I've seen that in churches. I'm, if any of you have been in churches very long, you've probably seen that too, right? Now, I thought about this this morning when I was reading this. Sometimes these kind of things are more harmful 
than just somebody coming forward and telling the pastor or the leadership or somebody else in the church they have an issue with, I've got a problem with you. I mean, that not, there's, no, there's not much tact there with that, is there? But at least it's out in the open. These things that are hushed and in the undercurrent, you see Ephroditus might have even been trying to avoid it. You know, they, they grow like a cancer when they're, you know, these are even more dangerous than I think if somebody, like I said, came forward and say, I got an issue with you. Because then you can get right to it, right? But these hushed and things that are, you know, kept in secret, they begin to grow like a cancer. If if we don't have somebody there in leadership or some prophet or prophetess there with um, discernment that can discern that and call it out. Disputings. Diligismos. Diligismos. This word has to do with debating and with an underthought of suspicion and doubt. Murmurings led to disputings. And then we get into the story of the children of Israel. We all think of that. I think if you think of murmurings and complainings, you can think of the children of Israel. Probably the number one reason that led to them not making it into the promised land. Uh, they murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, Exodus 16, 2 and 3. You know, over not having food and over how he would take care of them. There are countless times you can read that. Exodus 17, 2 and 3, they chided and murmured about lack of water. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 10 is kind of a, a recap of their history. And, and, that it, and then it says in verse 10, Neither murmur ye as some of them murmured. See, that's what they were remembered for. They're murmuring and complaining. And they, they ended up destroyed by the destroyer because of it. 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 6, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to do the doctrine which is according to godliness... He is proud and knowing nothing, but doting about questions, strifes, and words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputing, which really means incessant wrangling. That is, to argue with somebody, to kind of wear them down. You know, I, I've had people that I've worked with in my life. I have a family member, sad to say, that's like that. You know, but I don't, I don't get in the, <laughs> I, I don't get in that boxing ring with them. I avoid that because they just want to wrangle with me. And in the flesh, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy, but they are even better on their feet in arguing in that. And they would just take me apart, you know? So I don't get into that discussion with them where there will be incessant wrangling or it will wear me down. I avoid that, you know? Grumbling and complaining is always a trait of unbelief. You can't come here to this teaching today or what we had with, with uh, Pastor Justin last night that was so beautiful. You can't come to those things and speak about faith and then turn around and complain at, in the same breath. You can't do it. If you come in there and you have complaints and worries, you're going to have to set them aside and say, yes, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to overcome this fear. That's what we talked a lot about last night. I'm going to overcome this situation in my life. And you're going to leave not talking and grumbling and complaining and worrying about those things. Grumbling and complaining are a trait of unbelief. You cannot expect God to work and be spewing forth words of negativity into your situation. That'll kill that every time. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know that scripture. Hebrews 4.11. I want to bring this in here because I think it's um, kind of an interesting concept. 
uh, all through Hebrews 3 and 4, it uses the word about the children of Israel. They were of unbelief, and there's four times it's basically said there. Two of them mean basically the opposite of faith, unbelief. And the other two, I think, are even worse. When you, when you look at the uh, Greek word, it means to be unpersuadable. I don't know if any of you have ever had farm animals or uh, horses or donkeys or whatever, and you tried to take them maybe to take a drink out of a stream. Uh, you've heard the story, and you couldn't, you couldn't make them move at all. They were unpersuadable. They were obstinate. They were stubborn. The, the Hebrew children went from having just basically unbelief to being unpersuadable, you know, to unpersuadable. And that's a dangerous place to be. When we... Uh, and I think sometimes we we get that way, even as Christians once in a while, when we feel like we've been let down in some things, or maybe some bad thing has really happened to us. And bad things do happen to Christian people. Maybe you've lost a child, or I lost my brother, you know, when he was just starting to really be on fire for God as a teenager. He, uh, I think somebody took his life. They say he committed suicide. I'll never really believe that because he was really starting to minister for God and bring his old gang members to the Lord. He had, in, the, in his old life as a teenager, up till he was 19 years old, he had sold drugs and guns. So I think, I think somebody uh, took his life uh, because they were upset at that. You know, I, I could become angry at that. Lord, why did you let, let Brett go like that? Why did you uh, let his life be taken when he was just starting to really blossom in you and think of all the good things he could have done. You know, I don't, I never did understand that, but I had to let that go to the Lord rather than become unpersuadable. Uh, and sometimes I thought of this this morning too, like those areas in my life, I look over and I just don't see the transformation I want. And yet I want to, I just say, Lord, I'm persuadable. I'm persuadable. And he's going to begin to like, like we read about, both to will and to do his good pleasure in me, even though I don't understand how, and I've always had this, maybe this little issue or whatever it is, he's going to work in me. You know, I believe that. Hope that made sense. Verse 15, maybe is a better rendering of may become, implying that sin, the sin of dissension, was already beginning to sprout and, and blossom in their midst. Um, they were no longer uh, blameless, the Philippian church. Blameless mean, talks about censure, um, and it's not needed. Free from fault or defect. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 and 27, the church will be presented to God without blemish or spot. Who shall also confirm unto you, 1 Corinthians 1, 8, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord. A bishop should then be blameless, 1 Timothy 3, 2. 2 Peter 3, 14, wherefore, beloved, seeking that you look for such things, be diligent here we go, be diligent, apply the principles that you may be found in him in peace without spot or blameless. Harmless is a word that means unmixed or unadulterated, guileless. Um, and there's some cross-references here. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. <clears throat> be ye therefore wise as serpents, but harmless, unadulterated, pure as doves. Sons, a better rendering would be children or born ones, okay? Okay. 
Wherefore, gird up your loins, 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. 1 John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. Some versions say children of God, even to them that believe in his name. Behold what manner of love, 1 John 3, 1-2, the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons of God. That's what we're talking about, him working with us as sons and daughters, not as him being a taskmaster, right? He loves us deeply and greatly. We should be called sons of God. The world knows not us because it knew not him. Beloved, now are we sons of God. It does not appear what we shall be, uh, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Another phrase here, without rebuke. You're going to be without rebuke, without blemish, faultless, blameless. Uh, Philippians 1.10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. I'm just reading through the notes, the cross-references. I like to bring in a lot of cross-references to just um, show you that these things aren't just one place in Scripture. When he's talking about um, crooked things, means that which is perverse and wicked, those that turn away from the truth. And uh, here's another uh, here's another rabbit trail we would get on, or we could, but I, I'll I'll kind of hesitate from going fully into it. But I will mention some of this. Ecclesiastes seven thirteen or four and fourteen. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God has set the one over against the other. I, I've studied this and studied this. I spent about five years on and off studying the book of Ecclesiastes. I've even written a book about that and have a course on it. I'm not here to sell any of that. But this just the book of Ecclesiastes and some of the principles in there so um, intrigued me. And this is one that um, intrigues me, that there are crooked things in this world. And in a sense, it looks like God has made them crooked, but he really hasn't. He's made them crooked in the sense that he's let man have his free will to do as he pleases. So man is a man without uh, being redeemed by God. He's a man of the flesh and of his own nature. He's the one who's made things crooked, and God's allowed that to happen. So hence, in a way, God's set the process in place that there's crookedness in the world. But also, there's prosperity. And some days we're going to have, it's going to be very prosperous for us in the natural, and it's always prosperous for us spiritually. But there's going to come situations in your life where you're going to run into some crooked, adverse things, Okay. And we have to have the right heart attitude about that. Uh, we have to be able to see that God is still working, God in us, in those situations to make the best of them. Um, there's, there's some real revelation in that that I think a lot of times we don't get. I think in the 70s, and when I was a young man, uh, they had this uh, teaching come forth that anything that happens in your life, praise God for it. Praise God for every single thing. Even if your son or daughter run out the road and get killed by a car, praise God for that. And that is not the truth. The real truth of that is 
as hard as it is, and I have a dear friend this last 18 months lost his young son, just like I lost my brother. It's not to praise God that it happened, but it's begin, beginning to trust the Lord and praise him through and in the situation. That's what we're talking about. I mean, I, I, this ties into the story. I love the story of Job. You know, he had all the prosperity anybody could ever have. And in a, like in a few days time, it was all wiped away from him. He lost his sons and daughters and his wife said, now do you trust God? You know, curse God and die. And his response to her said, just like, it's almost as if he read this book, and he, this verse in Ecclesiastes and said, you know, we've had the good things from God. Shall we not also accept these things, you know, and, and work our way through them? We're not going to curse God in this, you know. Um, but a lot, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. Perverse is a, having a distorted twist to a thing. So perverse is even worse than the word crooked. And, and um, it's to corrupt. And, and the reason why it's worse is because it really gives the idea of you're not just uh, doing crooked things in yourself or wrong things in yourself. You're leading others that way, whether it's uh, your friends or your children or whoever. You're possibly worse because we're actively influencing others in evil actions, you know, it's all kind of, uh, and it also, I, 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 I uh, highlighted this word here for myself, speaking falsehoods, you know, perverse, we could say if you're complaining and grumbling, that's a perverse thing, because that's not faith, you're speaking a falsehood, that's not true, you know, oh, I don't have a job, oh, I'm not going to make enough money, oh, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, but yet you're a child of Abba. How can you say that? That's a falsehood. Because if you trust him, he'll take care of you. That's a falsehood. That's being perverse with your mouth. We, we so have to watch the things that we say, don't we? We really do. Shine means uh, like appearance of a light. Arise, shine, for your light has come. I'm kind of jumping back into the notes. Lights are heavenly bodies. Translation, a good translation of these verses all things be constantly doing without discontented and secret mutterings and grumblings, without discussions which carry an undertone of doubt and suspicion to the end that you may become those who are deserving of no censure, free from fault or defect, and guileless in their simplicity, children of God without blemish in midst of a perverse generation. Yeah, we walk around a lot of perverse things, don't we? Uh, in our lives. A lot of perverse things happening. Uh, perverse generation among who you appear as luminaries in the world. Well, are we being lights in the world? Or are we just acting like these guys, you know, doing wrong things, speaking falsehoods, complaining, um, being negative toward others? What are we doing, you know, among who others you appear as luminaries in the world? The end of the notes here, stop complaining about problems and circumstances in your life. That's what everyone does in the age we live in. That's what your neighbor does if he doesn't know Jesus. That's what the worker does usually if he doesn't know Jesus. We must have an obedience of faith. That is God working in us that exudes out of us and shows us to be different. Right? We must have a faith that God is working in us. Uh, let's see if we can pick this up again. Um, God, you are working in me today. Let's say that. God, you are working in me today to do your will and good pleasure. 
Let's say that again. God, you are working in me today to do your will and good pleasure. Okay, now we're at the home stretch, the last three verses of the text that we want to close out with today. So let's read those. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. So let's break that down. We'll break down verse 16. Holding forth. It means to hold forth as like you're offering something to somebody. Like if somebody came to your house and you were having a cookout and you offered them a refreshment. We as saints hold forth salvation to the lost to refresh them, to revive them. Kind of the same picture. Holding forth the word of life that, it really should literally because, be the word because, holding forth the word of life because I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And we're talking about the end of time, the end, the wrap-up of the ages, Paul's thinking of the rapture of the church, that have not run in vain. Let's see, holding forth the word of life because um, I may rejoice at the time of the ending of the age when Jesus comes back to earth, um, uh, and I have not labored, that is to the point of exhaustion. You know, that's what he's talking about. So if the Philippians would continue to offer the word to pagans in their society and each other, Paul would then have a basis for glorifying or boasting when Jesus Christ returned for his saints. In other words, he'd be, he'd be joyful. He'd be overjoyed if they would just continue in the faith to share a testimony. And they should be able to because we've talked all about <clears throat> today <coughs> in the podcast about God, you know, working in us and how we can allow him to work in us and how he works great works in us and, um, you know, causes us to be a witness for him as we yield ourselves to him. So we should be able to do that as Paul then would have joy in that. And, and he wouldn't have totally, he's saying, I wouldn't have exhausted myself in vain. Verse 17 then. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, let's look at this, offered upon literally means poured out as a drink offering or as a libation. Paul is referring to his own life offered up in a violent death. He will someday, he knew by the Spirit that someday he would be a martyr for Christ, a martyr for Christ. His blood will be poured out as a libation or a drink offering. 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4.6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. At hand. Translation, for my life's blood is already being poured out. You know, it's already in the future. It's, it's going to happen. It's already done in God's eyes. Um, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, service. This word draws upon the Old Testament example of priests, ministering and serving. Literally, a sacred ministration is what this talking, 
is talking about. Paul draws upon the example of his sacrificing of his life as an example to the Philippians of the Christian life of serving each other through humility as unto God. Amen? So we can kind of conclude now for today. God at work in us. That's what we've been talking about. That's the theme of today's episode. Such a beautiful, beautiful message if we can as Christians get a hold of it and understand it. God at work in us is the fertile ground of rejoicing, refreshing, a fruitful Christian life that pours out rivers of living water to others based upon an unrelenting reliance on Abba that lives within each of us. That is what we would say. We talked about it before in uh, in Ephesians, the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 1.27, To whom would God make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's our hope. That's the way that we're going to have God working in us, because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. For the same cause also you do have joy, or do you also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So we're rejoicing for the same thing Paul is, that the gospel will be spread, that the gospel will exude out of us, that the gospel will be shown forth, whether it's in our lives as we live, or like Paul, if some of us are called upon when the time comes and God will give us the grace uh, to be martyred for the faith. So that's today's lesson for you. God at work. God at work in you. Amen? Amen. Penetrate our hearts with the things that you would want us to take away. Uh, you're not a taskmaster. You're not going to smash us if we do wrong. Even if we see things in our lives that we say, I just don't know how that's going to come about. Don't know how that father or mother or child is going to come back to you and get saved. But Lord, just just deal with us in a way that we say, Lord, I'm persuadable. Uh, Lord, I, I, I believe you, but help my unbelief. You're going to help me in this situation. I want to just co-labor with you, Lord. I want to just love you, and I want to do the things you would desire because I love you, and I, I don't want to hurt your heart and do anything that's displeasing to you, to you or towards you. Lord, just help each one here today. Strengthen them. Encourage them to speak words of faith and to allow you to work in them to do your will and good pleasure. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, guys, have a good week. I just... Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of The Kingdom Corner.